CinemaSins has a fan club. It's called The Sin Club, and members get all sorts of things like early episodes, bonus videos, merch discounts, and even monthly bonus podcasts. Membership starts at $3 a month, and you can sign up now at patreon.com slash CinemaSins. Whitney realized what she needs to do is scream at the audience, and then they laugh. So she's a very loud <laughs> comic. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined by Jonathan Watkins from CinemaSins. Hello, hello. And Barrett Sher from CinemaSins. Hey. And today we have a very special guest. It is director, and you know you you can you're a multi hyphenate, right? You're stand up comedian, uh, Steve Byrne, yeah. who has uh, who has directed a movie called The Opening Act, starring Jimmy O Yang, uh, Alex Moffat, Cedric the Entertainer, and a whole bunch of stand up comics that you've seen before, uh, playing all sorts of different roles too. They're not just stand up comics in this. There's uh, there's some people they're playing some actual people. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> obviously stand-up comedians. That's right. Not, not, yeah, not, cool. not in my book. They're not. No. Um. Uh. Anyway, uh, welcome, Steve. Thank you so much. And Chris, I got to tell you, nobody does that intro bullshit better than you. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. See, you know what? I I'm going to put that. I'm going to put that on all of our podcast stuff. <laughs> like Steve Byrne says, I do the intro bullshit better than anybody. I never heard anybody. All right, well, let's get started. I'm going to get this intro bullshit over. It's yeah. like, all right, yeah. here we go. It's like, <laughs> I was thinking about it today. I was like, I was like, you know, saw Jimmy O. Yang in this movie. I saw him in Fantasy Island earlier this year. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, I was like, I can, I can definitely tell Steve Byrne that his movie, The Opening Act, is better than Fantasy Island. That's right. And he can That's put it on the benchmark. That's always been the benchmark. <laughs> he can put it on the poster. You know, right. I, saw, a... I saw that in Pauly Shore's house guest. I'm like, guys, the bar has been set. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say Yang is the best part of Fantasy Island, like by far. Like mm-hmm. it's not even close. Oh, nice. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> um the first question i want to ask is this movie autobiographical it certainly is semi-autobiographical i think once the character will chu hits the road everything that's happened to him has happened to me in terms of the conversations in the diner between you know billy g and will i've had those as a young comic and i have them now as an established headliner with younger comics um everything the radio is a combination of <laughs> KLOS in Los Angeles and another radio station, I believe, in upstate New York. Uh, the trailer park incident happened to me in Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, my um, God. Are you serious? Oh, wow. The mm. bachelorette party, which was a truncated scene. There was a lot more to it. That happened to me, and I witnessed it in Dallas, Texas at the Addison Improv. Uh, yeah, all those things happened to me. The condos, all that stuff, it's all real uh, the one thing that's kind of real in the first act, it, my father, thankfully, is still alive. So is my mother. But my father and I did bond over stand-up comedy when I was younger. We used to watch Evening at the Improv with Bud Friedman, Caroline's yeah. Comedy Hour, and Gallagher, Dangerfield, Young Comedian Specials. My my father, my brother, and I used to watch those all the time together. So there's an element of truth in that. But, um, that, that yeah, I mean, once he hits the road, it all happened. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's, it's one of these things, you know, we've seen – 
uh, Mike Birbiglia and Sleepwalk with Me, and um, what's the show that was on HBO? Um, Crashing. Crashing, yes. Yep. Um, you know, uh, there's there. I mean, it, it seems like stand-up comics almost have like uh, not a rock star lifestyle, but like it's 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 like a parody of a rock star lifestyle almost. <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that. There's, I couldn't have said it better. I, I, it's almost like we're the roadie or the keyboard player in a rock band. It's like <laughs> yeah, kind of in the band, right? Um, yeah, it, it, it definitely. You know, you you do get the spotlight shown on you, and there's definitely comedy groupies, but it's definitely not to the magnitude of a rock star life. And I know Pete, I know Mike, I respect those guys and even Big Sick or Obvious Child. Um, you know, you go back to Punchline. Mm-hmm. I always felt like those films are, are good, right? I, I think they're good. I don't think they're great. And mm-hmm. when I put pen to paper, I, you know, my show had gotten canceled and I was back at the clubs meeting Chicken Fingers again and <laughs> missing my family. And I'm just like, what's the the only way I'm ever going to work is if I write something, you know, there's the case with Sullivan and son. It was, it, it's going to be the case with this. So my phone's not ringing off the hook. What am I going to do? What am I going to write? And I thought the one thing I've never seen is truly a great film about stand-up comedy, a mm-hmm. film that focuses on stand-up comedy, a film that focuses on what it takes to make it. And as I started thinking more and more about it, I was like, there have been a few films like road hard. It's like, I don't want to watch a film about a 50-year-old driving home from Vegas. I want to watch a film about a 20-year-old driving to Las Vegas for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And that was the impetus to go back to the beginning and really encapsulate fish-out-of-water experience for a young kid to show the audience what it really is like to be a stand-up comedian and what the lay of the land is for a professional comedy show that you go to, everything from the right, the, the, the getting the red light, to the comedy intros, to the comedy condo, to doing morning radio. And all the trials and tribulations, especially as a young comic, you're thinking, holy shit, this is, this is great. But at the same time, there's so much to it. So my, if I were to relay it to everybody, it's like you, everybody's been to a comedy club, but not everybody's been on the road. And that's what this film is about. Yeah, uh, it's always interesting. And I, and I love that, that drive, by the way, that he takes, because there is an excitement to it when he gets that call to, you know, from Ken Jong to, you know, like, you know, he's, he's finally going to at least get his foot in the door uh, of a place. And, uh, and he's driving into, you know, Pittsburgh or whatever. And, yep. And, uh, and uh, there, there's a, there is a palpable excitement to that. And then of course, immediately the, the hammer drops and <laughs> yeah. his name is misspelled on the marquee. He's getting uh, accosted by bouncers and then the club owner who played by Neil Brennan in a great uh, uh, performance there, um, uh, you know, has a lot of rules and like uh, weird, uh, I don't know, weird standards that he has to follow. Uh, and he realizes quickly that this isn't just about stand up comedy anymore. This is, you know, there's a lot of like other little housekeeping things he's going to have to do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's show business, right? And once you hit the road, that's, <laughs> you're introduced to the business of show, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, um, uh, the machinations are, are what fascinates me uh, so much about this because you see him repeat the same joke every night that he's yep. he's doing this MC thing and you don't think about that right you, every audience is experiencing this for the first time but you know the comic is there for you know however many times he tells it hundreds of times sure. and he has to he or she has to present this 
as good as it was that first time. And that kind of peeked behind the curtain, not, let alone the stuff of the, the tears between the MC and the featured and the, the, the headliner. I really just, like you said, it, this is a unique look at stand-up that you didn't get from something like a movie that I actually really like is, is Punchline that you mentioned. Uh, I, so love I really Punchline. appreciate it. And yeah. actually, if you, if you'll notice when Ken Jeong calls, um, when Ken Jeong calls Jimmy, he says, Hey, I got a big shot opening for Steve gold this week and Steven gold this weekend. That was the Tom Hanks's character's name. From oh, wow. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I threw nice. that in there as a little acknowledgement to Tom Hanks because <laughs> I saw that movie and there are elements of that film that are great, but I'm telling you that fucking scene when he breaks down in front of his father and then, and then shifts gears and then gets back into a set. It's one of the most amazing, you know, like, like examples of acting I've ever seen. And I, I think that's why he's been working all these years, but I fucking love that scene. It's so good. So, mm -hmm. so good. Yeah. But yeah, okay. like you said, when, when Jimmy's doing the, um, a lot of pretty girls in Pennsylvania, right? Well, not here, but like downtown. Like <laughs> when you're starting, like you have five minutes. You have you you might have three great minutes, but you got like two minutes of, of filler, and he's got to do ten. So you're just grasping for straws at that point. So yeah, when you're an MC, you are doing the same material over and over and over again. And oh my God, do you? Let us see those grasping at straws. Yeah. You are not afraid to be like, nope, let's stick with this for a while. You think we're going to cut away? Mm -mm, no. oh, yeah. yeah that's, uh, you know, that's the, uh, like, you know, it, it's one thing for Cedric to say, you know, for example, you're going to hear a whole avalanche of no's if you stay in this business. It really is a profession of rejection on a nightly basis during the day. If you're somewhat motivated, like most young comics are not. You're going to write something down. You're going to take it to stage. And nine times out of 10, it's not going to work. Th that's yep. the ratio. And so you're constantly being told by the audience, no, by the industry, no, by club owners, no, because there's a thousand comics that you're competing against. So it really, really takes a long time to become a good stand-up comedian. I remember Mark Marin when I first passed the Comedy Cellar. I, again, was Will Chu. I'm asking him for advice. And he says, it's going to take you 10 years to discover your voice as a comedian. Mm. And I was young and cavalier thinking, this guy's a fucking idiot. It took me 12 years. <laughs> 12 years. And I told him that uh, when I had done his podcast. And um, he's, uh, he's done well for himself, right? Yeah, yeah. I would yeah. say so. <laughs> But so. hey, but Glow got canceled though. So yeah. I mean, he did, but he was in Joker, and I would go to the grave with that. <laughs> he was what now? <laughs> What did you say? Uh, he was in Joker, and I would go to the grave oh. with that. I, I'd be like, I'm done. I, I was in a scene with yeah. De Niro. I'm in one of the greatest comic films of all time. It's like, we're, we're good. <laughs> um, yeah, I've always felt a lot of empathy for these opening acts, and I've, I've, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of stand-up comics uh, uh, live over the years, and like, it's just, man, when the, that first guy, especially the guy who's just before the, the other guy, um is coming up there and he has that just limited amount of time and everything it's just like i'm i'm rooting for you man <laughs> i, don't want, I yeah. want you to do well and everything and and uh it's uh it, it, that's the thing that goes on with this which leads into what i think a lot of this movie is about is is about the lack of confidence or the loss of confidence that you get and you can get into this big huge spiral he 
he starts off uh he starts off screwing up the cedric the entertainer thing at the beginning mm-hmm. um not being able to to uh, properly uh, name his book and where you know him from <laughs> and, right, yeah. and and uh and so he starts off on that and then he has the wild you know trailer you know, girl wants to give him a blowjob scene. And then like, you know, uh, right after that, he's, he's got to do this radio show Yep. and it's a very unfunny radio show, but it, you would think that there was, there's no pressure to be funny on something like that. No, on those all. radio shows. Yeah. It's, um, you know, you're there representing the comedy club and usually the comedy clubs paid for that spot. So they're literally invested in it. And you got to do a good job. And I remember the first time I did, the first time I ever did radio was on Howard Stern when he was on radio before he went to sleep. And I fucking ate a plate of dicks. I would say a buffet of dicks. (laughs) It was so horrible. It scarred me. And literally the second time I did radio was that KLOS thing where I got kicked off off the air while we're on the air. And in real life, what actually happened was I, I was, it was uh, Frank, Heidi, and Frosty. And I actually had, my booking agent at the time was named Frosty. And I'd always have like these, you know, like guys sometimes, you know, like little flirtatious gay jokes that you jab each other with or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not that either of us were, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but <laughs> but I go on doing it. I, I start doing it with Frosty and, and they're like, Steve, how you doing today? I'm like, oh, you know, Frosty and I, uh, we had a rough one last night. I was in a hot tub with him watching some Pixar films and he had a loofah sponge and and he immediately took offense to this. Oh. And I lit a fuse. I lit a fuse. And what I learned in the aftermath is that he's very sensitive about those kinds of things. And I just had to listen to the show. I end up getting kicked off the air. They're asking for security to come and escort me out of the building. I'm like, are you guys serious? They're like, yeah. And I was like, I was just sitting there dumbfounded. I walk across the street. And at the time, the radio station was across the street from Sebastian Maniscalco. I walk over to his place. <laughs> We, we, we both, I, he goes, what's up? I go, turn on your radio. <laughs> turns on the radio. They are shitting on me for the next 30 minutes. Oh, wow. I'm not funny. I'm not charismatic. Why am I in Los Angeles? It's like all those things Jimmy's hearing in the car. Sebastian, of all people, is just staring at me. They cut to break and he goes, what the fuck did you do, guy? <laughs> <laughs> And that was my second radio experience. So it, it, I would say I started off in the deepest, darkest hole um, beyond rock bottom with Stern and then the biggest radio show in Los Angeles. It was brutal. Yeah. I mean, it's you're, you're trying to establish yourself and and, you know, you're trying to get some footing. And I don't know how stand up comics do it, man. I don't know how they sit there like Whitney Cummings at the end of this movie when you're doing all the candid interviews and everything. Um she's like i just accidentally was good the first time and then for two years nothing like how did you do this for two years not getting us like any laughs at all i think we really love it you know whitney realized what she needs to do is scream at the audience and then they laugh so she's a very loud (laughs) comic yeah (laughs) i just have to raise my voice eight octaves and tell them every it's like whitney my god you have a microphone. <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. Um, I, you know, who I thought was surprising in this was Alex Moffat because I had seen him. Great. In, he was great. I had him. I saw, you know, I know him only from Saturday Night Live. So, 
Um, Stole so the see- show as far as I'm concerned. I mean, steals the movie. Uh, he, The character was written as when Jimmy finally warms up to Billy G, the baton gets passed, and you start seeing through the cracks of the first 48 hours of hanging out with Chris Palmer and realizing, oh, maybe this guy is not a good influence, you know, to hang out with. Right. And what we learn in test screening is that the audience didn't like what I had written in terms of the character because they're like, we invested in this character for the last 30 minutes. We really like him mm-hmm. and don't do that to him. And so Alex had so many takes where he's just such a likable guy and he put a different spin on the character because there were scenes written that he was supposed to be even more douchier than he is. Oh, wow. And over time, you learn that this guy is not who he kind of seems to be. And Alex just played it in a different way where it's like, he's still great. He's still a great guy. You still want to hang out with him. And so we, we had to recalibrate just a touch. But Alex is one of those guys from A to Z. He always tested really, really high, no matter what we did with him in the edit. And it's a testament to him and the fiber of, of, of his character. And he's, you know, when you're casting these films, you, I think everybody has an opinion. He's the one guy I fought really hard for. Cause again, he's not on social media. Nobody really knows who he is. And he had done an independent film that I'd seen. And it was actually Colin Jost, who's on update, that recommended him to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I, when Colin and I were discussing the film, he said, you know, who might be good for that is Moffat. And I, I like yourself, I'd known Moffat from SNL. And I watched this, this, this independent film. I think it's called like Uncle John or Uncle Henry or something like that. He oh, yes, I've it. seen this. John Ashton, right? Yeah. And he yeah. was so good. And I was like, I was like, guys, yeah. trust me. He's the guy. He's the guy. And there's also an element like, look, these days you have to worry about diversity when you're casting, right? Otherwise mm-hmm. you're going to get slammed. But we didn't really have that problem because the world of stand-up comedy is diverse in its own nature. But I told everybody when we were doing this, I go, I'm telling you right now, if we cast a young black comedian to play the role of Chris Palmer, we're going to get raked over the coals by progressive outlets like the Huffington Post, even though it's not intentional, right? But they're going to say, oh, so the black comic's the guy that wants to go out and just bang girls and he's unmotivated. It's like you could see that coming at you given the state of, you know, everybody has an outlet via media in the internet, you know? So Mm -hmm. I was just like, that's one stumbling block I just wanted to avoid when we were casting, um, which is disheartening, you know, yeah. and I, it's something I never would have thought of unless I was on the other side of things casting. That is right. fascinating. The white guy was the key to the diversity. That's right. <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. You're completely You're absolutely true. right. But it's, it's just so odd to hear it framed like that, you know? Because if we cast, if we cast, um, you know, there's all these, there's all these conversations, for example, when we were doing it and, and, if I, I, I don't want to say the original way we had dreamt things up, but if we did cast three white comics, right? If we cast two white comics, I mean, you know you're going to get raked over the coals. Somebody's going to go look at that poster and go, well, that doesn't re- represent stand-up comedy. It's just like you want to avoid those conversations. found that that part of the casting process it was a little uh, unnerving to me. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um the, but uh, there are there is one performer in here that I'd seen before in Sorry to Bother You, Jermaine Fowler, who yeah. is uh, who is great. Uh, I, I'm actually hoping to see him a lot more now that I've seen him in this and in Sorry to Bother You. He's fantastic. You see the DJ? Yeah, he's, he's the DJ. Oh yeah. my god, that's one of my. That's my. 
you talk about stealing the movie. He kind of steals the movie for me because like the, the one part where he's just going through this line of the <laughs> amount of drugs. He's like, you want some Coke? You want some of this? And then it'll come back and they're like, how about ecstasy? And, yeah. <laughs> and Jimmy he's like, is everything okay at home? Well, those well, guys, I need to away a laugh. I'm sorry. Those sound guys <laughs> are usually the guys that take you to radio in the morning as Ricky does. And they're the guys that they never did stand up. They're exposed to it every night. And they like to be around the element of like, this guy's famous for the night, right? So they like to be kind of like a hanger on. And nine times out of 10, when you're on the road and you don't know anybody and the sound guy's usually the guy that goes, Hey man, let's go to the strip club. Cause they're, they're the ones that are constantly taking comics to radio to go get something to eat for little errands. Or if you want to go out at night, that's that's usually the guy you go out with. Um, wow. And they, they got all the hookups, like literally all the hookups. <laughs> <laughs> so stay away from the sound guy. <laughs> I imagine so. It makes sense. Um, and, then, um, and then Cedric, uh, the entertainer, I, I've never seen him like this in anything. He, I mean, I've never thought, I mean, he's, he's a good actor. He's always been a good actor. He's a very funny guy, but like his his performance in this is just like, I feel like he goes places that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Um, we were very, very lucky to to have him to be completely honest. And it's one of those things again in casting where things can fall apart. You know, Alex Moffat, for example, we were literally dry. We were shooting, let's say we're shooting Friday. The ink dried on his contract Thursday afternoon and he got on a red eye. Thursday evening to fly in to do the first day of shooting. So that's how close we so were. He, he was Jimmy O. Yang in the, in the movie, basically like he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then Cedric, um, there was some, you know, complications with, with getting him um, all set in stone. And then he finally like, you know, it, it was finally happening. Like I think the day before his first day too. And, and, and you just see those scenes play out. And I think about what could have been had he not been there. And I just, I'm like, thank God he was the headliner. He really is the conduit of that information and that character in such a powerful way. I was really, really thankful. And in, in real life, Jimmy was looking up to Cedric the way that Will looks up to Billy G. And I had no idea. The first day he shows up on set, Cedric, I'd never met him. And usually as a stand-up comic, you meet everybody at some point. Mm. And Jimmy had never met him earlier. And the first thing Jimmy told him was that his his walk-on music was the song that Cedric walked out to in Kings of Comedy for the first two years of Jimmy's wow. career. Mm. I thought, holy shit, that's that's kind of wild that it, it really is happening. So <laughs> that really set the precedent for um for their relationship on and off script. Because yeah, I feel like that headliner's got like, I think a lot of people probably don't think as much about the headliner in the sense that, you know, that person's already been a success and, and so on and so forth. But they've got their own story too, right? Because they're still trying to remain relevant or they're trying to, uh, you know, get known for new things as opposed to, to older things, I guess. Yeah, the, the um, you know, I think once you get established, you're trying to you know, there's the lack of relevance that you that you can deal with. I mean, mm-hmm. anybody can strike gold at any given time. And I think the one thing most established comics know is that we're all stocks. You know, our value goes up and down, but the clubs will always, always have our backs, which is great. The industry, mm-hmm. on the other hand, doesn't. So you've got to generate constantly, especially this day and age with so much going on, 
um, to stay relevant. It's even harder now more than ever because let's say you had a Netflix special three years ago or a Comedy Central special three years ago. You could have toured off of that special for another two years, another three years. But now the fact that Netflix churns out a new hour special from someone relevant once a week for 52 days a year, it it almost makes them non-relevant now. You, mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. really, it's really sad to see the overwhelming influx of content that I, I think is unmerited because now Netflix has has gone after all the big fish, and now it's identity, right? It's like, oh, this person checks this box, this box, this box. Let's give them an hour. And mm-hmm. I think that they're starting to saturate the market in stand-up comedy. And I, I feel bad for comics. I understand the money grab. I understand the fact that you want to be in the party, right? And Netflix is the party right now. But there are slowly comics like Joe List, Mark Norman, and quite a few other comics, especially out of New York, that are like, all right, you didn't, you didn't give me an hour special? Well, then fuck it. I'll put it up on YouTube. And now they're getting 4 million, 5 million views on these things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's, for every comic that's on that platform, there's 10 other fucking rocking comics that aren't on that platform. And I think now the comics have found a way to stay relevant, uh, minus the anointment of the almighty Netflix these days. Yeah. You, I guess you, you know, you used to have something about a special that was actually special where you had, where you actually, it was show up on HBO and you know, it was, you know, another three years before you saw another one a lot of the time. And, um, and, uh, you're right now they're like just cramming as much as they can in there. I don't even know who's supposed to be funny in all of those, uh, in a lot of those, uh, in that, uh, lineup a lot of times. Cause I'll look for, I'll look for specials and I'm like, well, I know Dave Chappelle, I'm going to watch the Dave Chappelle thing. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but then like, you know, the, then it gets into some, I was like, you know, I've never heard of this person in my life. It's there's a lot of these kind of comics, by the way, where like, you know, maybe I'm just dumb or whatever, but it's like, they've been filling arenas and everything. And I'm like, who, who, I don't know. Who <laughs> yeah. This is. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I think that that's what I miss about entertainment is that it used to be communal, right? We all, even if you didn't watch the show, you knew about it, you heard about it. But now entertainment is so fractured. There are shows I have friends on that I've never even heard of the show. And <laughs> like, you're on what? Like, I know you. I want to support you. I know you. Crazy. Like, it happens all the time. You're like, where you been? Oh, I've been filming the third season. My like, third season? What? <laughs> I follow you on Instagram. Like, I, I, I should have known about this. Like, there is so many of those. And the fact that, like, like the the Oscars, the Emmys, like there are there are awards for shows that none of us have ever seen or heard of. So I think there's last a lack of that investment to go ahead and watch those things. Um, and I think that when you have these pay streaming avenues, half the time people don't finish watching the content because they watch a few minutes. Ah, fuck it, I'll just go go back to you know Star Wars and watch Phantom Menace for the eightieth time. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just I, I feel like the lack of uh, of community in entertainment is kind of what's disheartening to me. And and like you said, our specials used to be those things. They were something you could draw towards. It, it, it's tent poles, it's franchises, and it's sports, unfortunately. And and 
right now the pandemic is the most communal thing that that this country has experienced you know in a long yeah. time so yeah. it, it, it's crazy days um I, I would love to know uh just your general like first off I, we talked about the bombing and everything like what what is it about what is in a stand-up comic psyche is it almost like is it almost like a NASCAR driver who doesn't care about death uh, <laughs> that that a stand-up comic can go up there and tell jokes and then not be funny? I've heard so I've heard some perspectives. Some people love it. They love the fact that they've bombed. But the other people, I'm just like, I just you know that has to be just such a fracture to your psyche. But First how do you off, get anybody over that it? says anybody that says they like bombing? Nobody likes bombing. It, there's anybody that says I like to bomb. I love that feeling. A, they suck as a comic, and B, <laughs> probably somebody that'll go to the red light district and spend two hundred bucks for somebody to shit on them because daddy didn't hug up. I'm telling you, nobody fucking likes bombing at all. The whole point of being on stage is to get a laugh. That laugh is the dopamine. That laugh is the drug, and that's the high comics are chasing on a nightly basis. Mm. Nobody likes it, right? But uh, but how do you how do you cope with it? How do you get how do you figure it out? You you just say, eh, I'll be better next time, and that's it. Or is there a process that you go through? There, there certainly is a process. I think what the process is that you get comfortable, you understand your heart rate goes down, you get comfortable with the fact it's like going up to one of those meter dives, right? It, there's the five meter dive, the ten meter dive, and I think the first probably the first three hundred times you go up on that ten meter dive, you're scared as fuck. Mm-hmm. But it's the 300 first time that you go, I, I've done this 300 times. I know what I'm doing now. And it's the gradual marathon mindset of knowing I'm going to be here tomorrow. This is part of the gig. And then you develop an arsenal of weapons, too. You mm-hmm. start developing lines on the fly. Okay, well, that joke sucked. Well, now you have a line for it. Or that guy said something. Now I have a line for it. So, you know, it, it's funny because the first time I was on stage after after the pandemic hit was maybe three months into it. I go to Miami. And I'm on stage and I hadn't, you know, it's like, it's like running every day. You got to run every day, train a little bit for a marathon. And I got, I was really rusty, but somebody said something and instantly at a reflex, the lines started coming back to me. And I remembered all my lines that I hadn't said in a while. Now, granted, it's only been three months, but still it's 23 years of experience coming up with those lines that I was able to kick into high gear again and go, Oh, okay. I got this. I remember how to do this again. Um, but yeah, I think I think you just deal with it. You get used to it. Your heart rate goes down, and you develop great lines to encounter any problem, mm-hmm. like hecklers, right? Oh, hecklers! Like, I love hecklers. I love I, it. I, oh, oh, oh can I can I ask you about this then? I don't understand what it is in the mind of a paying audience member where they want to uh, somehow denigrate somebody who's up there doing their their life's work. Uh, I've sure. seen it happen. We, did, Chris, did we see it at the? Did you see Kevin Pollock with us in New York? No, no, no I saw was, Pat Oswalt with right, you. Right, right, right. Yeah, there's. Yeah. I've just, I've seen so many shows interrupted by hecklers. What is the actual percentage of the times that this happens? Is it overblown? And and I just, can you tell me why they do it? Do you know why? Sure. I think I think Johnny Hotcakes is the guy that wears the Santa hat at the office party and gets laughs. And he he's out with his boys. He's had a few drinks. They pregame to Chili's and now he's ready to take on the big guys. And I think that's what happens. And immediately they realize, you know, 
you gotta you gotta wipe out at a at a at a strip mall taekwondo and you're 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 going against jiu-jitsu masters, you know? <laughs> That's ultimately what it comes down to. I'd say it's probably 30, 35 percent of the time you get heckled. Wow. And it's wow. just part of the business. It's part of it. And and sometimes comics engage, you know, like I love doing crowd work. My first 10 minutes is usually crowd work. You get in, you you establish your rapport with the audience, and then you then you go into your material. Um and when I was doing, when I was a young comic in New York City, I was doing seven, eight sets a night. And I would always say one of my sets I'll dedicate just to crowd work. And that was a tool I sharpened over the years. And there's many different facets of stand-up comedy. You can be a stand-up comic, right? But people don't realize there's many different versions of it. Like Jeff Ross is, is the best at roasting. He's so good at roasting. Mm-hmm. And that's a muscle I do not have. I'm not good at roasting. I don't have it. The, I don't have the capacity to say those things that they say. To other people. <laughs> I don't blame him <laughs> to their fucking face. Sometimes it's just like whoa. Um, but crowd work, I definitely am better at that than than most comics. I'd say it's one of the things I'm I'm really good at. Uh, and then you know I'm slowly getting better as a writer all these years. I was mm-hmm. I was very animated when I started off, and that was because you're 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 displacing energy with written material. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten much better at um, less energy and more focused on the writing. So there's different facets. And I think even like when you go to a comic club, you see somebody like Wendy Liebman, um, who's a great joke writer, but it's mm-hmm. like set up, punch, set up, punch, set up, punch. Mm-hmm. And after like 30 minutes, you're like, are we going to switch gears or just one gear the whole time? And as much as I appreciate a comic like that, and there's some great fucking jokes in there. I want to be entertained, you know, so I, I, I always try to keep that focus when I'm performing as well. You did 13 in one night, right? 13? Yeah, the record was a tell. He did 12. And at the time, young comics were doing like their own like little audio CDs and stuff. And I thought, well, I'll do a DVD because um, that'll have staying power. And I, yeah. I, <laughs> I went out and just said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to schedule it so that I... I'll probably tie the record. Not that anybody even gives a shit in New York City. It's like, okay, you did 13. Who gives a fuck? But um, for, for most people to, to see like that doc, it's on YouTube. It's called 13 or Bust. Bill Burr has hair in it. That's how long ago this was shot. Um, Bobby Kelly was skinny. Um, and Doug Davidoff and I look, look the same. But, but we did it. And I wanted to give people like some semblance of what a night as a stand-up comic can be. So we have this roundtable discussion. There's the catching up with comics between gigs and you're just cab show, cab show, cab show. And I've never in my life had it where I walk out and a cab was there. I've missed shows in New York City, which the, the club owners don't like. And I thought, all right, I'm going to miss it. But that night there was a cab that happened to pull up in front of every one of those venues. And it was fucking great. And I was oh, so wow, wow. because I could have done 14 that night. Because I had heard afterwards there was another show that goes till three in the morning. I was like, "Fuck, I could have done it," but I would never do it now. <laughs> never at my age. Fuck that. Did did you did you do uh, like the the same bit when you went through? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I apologize. Look, the the film and concept is great. The material is fucking dog shit. So I apologize to anybody that goes out and watches it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can't uh, imagine. I mean, you know, you think about like Broadway actors or even you know, stage actors doing the same take every time, the same line every time. But that's a, a limited run, and you do that thirteen times in one night. It's yeah. It, it's it's just wild to replicate that same energy 
uh, for each and every instance for each individual audience. Yeah, the one thing I will say I like in that doc is that, to go to your point, is that, you know, when you're younger, look, you only got, you know, so much time. Um, But I remember I did a show literally back to back. One show, the exact same set, great in one show, bombed in the other venue. And it was like, it's the same delivery, same cadence, same joke, same melody. It just, it was just not my night in that room. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. just weird. Sometimes it just happens. You don't have that electricity and you could blame it on the audience. I hate comics to go, Oh, this audience sucks. It's like, no, you suck. Cause you, <laughs> you didn't have the blue wire. You couldn't figure out how to make it work. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting perspective. Cause you hear that all the time. You hear like this audience is cold. This is, you know, not, not uh, responding and stuff like that. And it's uh, the fault of the war. There's always a whatever. way. Yeah. 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 And yeah. you got to kind of figure that out on the fly. Right. You got to figure it out. Don't ever blame the audience. Blame yourself. You're the fucking professional. I've had incidents. You know, I- I've seen it all. I- I've had a fucking bar stool thrown at me. It cracked my head open. Oh, I got shit. eight staples on the back of my head, which oh, sucked shit. in New York City because once everybody heard about it, for two weeks I was called the chairman. And it was like, all right, I- <laughs> thanks, guys. You go, you go to the comic strip live and you look at your headshot and they, they literally tape staples to my headshot. So it was like, you know, <laughs> there's no place worse no worse industry if you have, you know, some overmounting failure for all the other comics to put a magnifying glass and reminded you of it for the next few years. Um, is is Cedric the Entertainer based on anybody you know, or is it um, sort of like an amalgam in this? Uh, yeah, uh, all the characters, to be completely honest, are are me. You know, I mm-hmm. was Will Chu for many years. I was Chris Palmer absolutely for a few years. I indulged in the nightlife and, you know, maybe didn't take things so seriously and just enjoyed the fact that I was a big fish in a small pond. And Mm -hmm. I am currently Billy G. I do go to clubs and I'm kind of there to do my job. And I do have those conversations with younger comics. Um, I've done it for a long time and it's not that I don't like it. I fucking hate everything about stand-up comedy except for performing. I love performing. Mm -hmm. I hate travel. I hate the hotels. I hate eating out. I'm eating by myself all the time. I go to movies by myself all the time. Like at some point, I, you know, you just kind of want the camaraderie. And that's why comics that go on the road constantly, like myself, love going to the comedy store on Tuesdays and Wednesdays because you can catch up with everybody. You can see everybody. And now mm-hmm. you're, these people deal with a similar, you know, experience. Just last weekend, you know, Chris Porter's in Cleveland. I was in, you know, Alabama and we catch up and hear how the week was. So, you know, it's a profession of solitude. And Billy G, at the end of the day, if I were to hone in and say he is based on one person, I got a lot of inspiration from Billy Gardell. And that's why his name is Billy G. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy is on Mike, he was on Mike and Molly. He's on Bob Loves Abishola. And oh, years yeah. ago, when I was just a headline in comic, I got booked on a, on a Jameson whiskey tour, which took four established headliners and put them all on the same tour. And Billy was the closer. I toured with Bert Kreischer, Pete Corielli, Danny Bevins. There's a lot of great comics on this tour. Um, so we go out, and I learned so much from Gardell. And the one line that stuck in my head like a one-hit wonder that he told me years ago when I was writing this, I, I put in, is that when I was a young comic, I used to think that I had to make the audience laugh so I feel good. Now I make the audience laugh so that they feel good. It's the best job in the world. Mm. And when you're younger... And you hear that, it was like, oh, that's fucking great. And maybe there's some truth to that. But the older I get, the more I appreciate that. 
And that was, I think, one of the last lines uh, Cedric says to uh, to Jimmy before he leaves, one of the last lines in the film, which I, I find very um, impactful. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a scene that I really liked in here, and I don't know if you meant for it to come off this way, but... The answer um, is yes. Okay. All right. And then we don't have to answer. We don't even have to answer that question. Given your setup, I would say yes. I would just. Fantastic. I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and close the show now. Um, But uh, no, um, there's a, there's a point. uh, The first time that uh, Jim, Jimmy O'Yang and and Cedric the Entertainer are in the diner and he's asking what to, what advice would you give to young comics mm-hmm. and Cedric the, you know, he gives him like some, basically some bullshit, yep. um, you know, uh, you know, write and perform basically is what it comes mm-hmm. down to. Um, but there's a scene and you don't make a big deal out of it. That's why I'm asking you this question because sure. I, I thought it was a kind of an interesting complex type of thing that you put in here is when Whitney Cummings shows up sure. and she starts talking to Cedric, the entertainer, and she says, you gave me the best advice. Mm-hmm. And he tells her what, and she says what that advice was. There's a shot on Jimmy O. Yang where it's like, you didn't tell me that. Basically, is what it looked like to me. And maybe I just, I'm just uh, imagining things. But um, maybe that's, I, I thought that was a, I thought that was a good scene where it, where it looked like he had sort of been slighted in a way. Well, I think your perception of it is half what I intended. Okay. Um, what it was is that she's the beacon of hope, right? She's proof positive of the aspirations that Jimmy has, where if you go out with Cedric or, or Billy G, if you, if, you listen to his advo- if you listen to his advice, if you take it to heart, you're on your way. And so mm-hmm. whatever it is that he's disseminating to these younger comics, if they breathe it in, if they take it in like a sponge and keep it with them, you're on your way. And so he was disseminating advice to Jimmy He's disseminating advice to Whitney. And she's like, no, what you told me is if I write things, it's more personal. And and you're seeing she's doing The Tonight Show. She just did an independent film, et cetera, et cetera. And so Will's sitting there looking at at these two going, all right, that's what I got to do. I, I, I've got to stay on track. This mm, has okay. got to resonate within me. So then he goes up and he takes all the things that um, Billy G has told him over the course of the weekend and now he's ready to try to, you know, really take a stab at um, at his advice. And he yeah. did the work. He did the work in the park. He did the work uh, in, in the condo. And he really got serious about it. So in some small way, is he going to be victorious? You got to tune in and watch the film, I guess, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> that was, it's, it's that was the point of that scene, yeah. It's wild that everybody's so fucking nice in this movie. Like in their own way. You know, are there? I know there's assholes in in comedy, right? Sure. Like in, yeah. But uh, but everybody in this, like like you said with Alex Moffat's character, even when he tries to be douchey, and they actually kind of like preface his thing, like, "Oh man, you're gonna really be in for it." But no, he's 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 likable in a certain way, and he's he's relatable. As is uh, Billy G. As is even Whitney Cummings in a limited role. Uh, you know, the only one. That's really an asshole is Bill Burr and he's not even a comedian. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> like, but but I, I assume that you've encountered the opposite of this. I, I appreciate that you're focusing on the, the more positive nature yeah. of well, the, the, the relationship, but it's funny to bring it up because there was a comic at the beginning in the open mic scene. So if you notice Moshe Kasher is at the open mics and 
he was an alternative comic that mm. approached Will in the, in the open mics that Kathleen Madigan uh, hosted. And he came up to him with his cup of hot tea and he's dressed like a hipster. And he goes, oh, are you still doing this? Very condescending way. And he's like, yes, Sasha, I'm still doing this. And he looks at, Sasha looks at Will and goes, oh, you know, did you get that? Did you, did you, oh, he says, uh, he says, did you blow Toby Keith for that shirt? Um, and he goes, no, I blew, I blew Toby Keith because he's a great entertainer. And Will walks away. <laughs> and it was such a fun, like, dynamic because there is this snobbery from the alt scene to anybody that's not holier than thou in their realm. And so I had this little nod to the alt scene to say, fuck off. And (laughs) unfortunately, like with most most things in film, as you guys know, you got to cut things. And we had to trim that for time, unfortunately, which really bummed me out because I, I, you know, (laughs) there's a part of me that's not a huge fan of that scene because there's a snobbery on their end as opposed to a a lack of snobbery on everybody else's end. Yeah, yeah. That's what comes across on this very much so from from the top down. I mean, it's not like... It's not like the chip character is trying to to fuck this guy over. He's trying to to if he's good, go ahead. You know, I want I want to use you in my other venues and everything. But if you're not, get the fuck out of here. You know, I, I don't exactly, I yeah. don't have time for it. Yeah, if you can't, you know, that's why he establishes the rules pretty early. You know, deal with the hecklers, stay on time, and have a great show. Make the audience laugh. That's what he sells. So he tells them the rule book. You just have yeah. to do those things. And you'll work here again. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jimmy encounters them and <laughs> does not, does not do well. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, what, any, anything else guys? I mean, I, I do have to, I do have to ask you a random question. Cause I promised my nine-year-old daughter I would, what is it? What was it like working with Debbie Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, she is a fucking pro, a total awesome. pro. And uh, unfortunately for, for us, what we learned is that, the audience just wanted to get on the road. They didn't give a shit about uh, Will and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Jen dating at all. Mm-hmm. And originally what was in the film, again, you got to trim and truncate things based on what the audience tells you in test screenings. Uh, there was a little friction between them. And what originally was in is that she was she was saying, oh, this weekend we're going to take a road trip. It's going to be great. This is our first road trip together. And she was so excited about it. Then he gets off with a thing. He goes, honey, you know how much I love stand-up. She's like, I know you're passionate. I'm just a little miffed. But she's like, you got to go. Go. This is a big opportunity. So he goes. And at the end of the film, they're, they get in a Prius and they're driving off to Kansas City together. And so she got the road trip and he got the next booking. So mm-hmm. that was all supposed to tie in very nicely oh. together for for them um unfortunately again the audience just wanted to see them hit the road but to answer your nine-year-old she was <laughs> so professional she was so sweet and she was really really funny and she was asking a lot of questions about stand-up comedy which i thought was fascinating and i didn't really know her body work i'd seen insatiable and i thought she mm-hmm. was great um and now that my kids are old enough and they have disney plus Jesse's constantly on and she's Mm. got great chops. I mean, she's really, really funny. And if I ever had the opportunity to work with her again, I do it in a heartbeat. She was nothing but a complete joy. Yeah. Jesse's one of those weird, it's kind of, you kind of have to pick and choose. Like it's not that it's like, you know, it's not for our age, obviously, but if it's a show you have to watch with your kid, it's not a bad one. I guess if if you watch Jesse in your thirties or forties, um, 
you're an Amber Alert waiting to happen. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Man, I've been doing there. it yeah. all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she was she was awesome. As was everybody on the on the set. I, I I didn't have any any issues with anybody. And the great thing about directing this with all the comics is that most of them didn't want to improv because comics inherently are lazy by nature. They just want to show. Oh, we want to say. Oh, I'll do that. Yeah. Nice. Oh, great. Thank you. Now we're now we're staying on story, but. Like, I didn't have to tell Russell Peters, Eliza Schlesinger, or Brooks Whelan, okay, this is the radio scene when comics go on the road. Like, they knew it. They yeah. know those morning DJs on the morning zoo, mm-hmm. and they know how they treat comics. And that's why Eliza's constantly on her phone, like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> and Brooks is on his computer. Not Nobody's paying attention to Jimmy when he's talking. So they knew it. They nailed it. And that was the fun aspect of all the characters throughout the course of the film. The only one that I did, I maybe had to ask for a little more was Segura, who's getting <laughs> blown in the trailer park. Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 the follow-up to that story is one of my, there's a throwaway line that I'm not even going to mention. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just absolutely genius. And yeah. uh, the fact that it happens when it happens is you know your your rock bottom, uh, but it's kind of a hilarious rock bottom. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, Segura was great in that, and he he. I remember the day he showed up. The day he showed up, actually, his wife was was due to give birth at any moment to their next son. Oh, wow. And he said when he got dressed in the cop uniform and walked on set, he goes, "Just to let you know, Christina's due any moment." I'm like, he's like, I might have to leave. I'm like, oh fuck, <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go. But he got in that cop car. It was a real cop car. He goes, so these lights work. They go, yeah. And he goes, the speaker work? They go, oh, yeah. He goes, can I do it? I go, you do whatever you want. So (laughs) he improved a lot of stuff. And that scene you hear in the film, which is pretty, pretty, pretty um, aggressive. And yeah. that, was the, that was the least aggressive of all the things he, he was saying. Oh, my so God. One day, maybe I'll get to show you with everybody the crazy shit Segura was saying through that speaker. <laughs> but we were fucking dying laughing. I, I, uh, here, here's another. Like you had uh, a couple of uh, a, a producing team, Vince Vaughn and Peter Billingsley on this. So did, what, what kind of input did they have into this into this film? Did they just say, hey, just do what you want or? Uh, um, did they have a, a vision themselves or what? Yeah, I think Vince, the, the great thing about Vince is he addressed early on tone, tone in this film. He's mm-hmm. like, he's like, you know, what, what kind of film do you want to make? And I, I told him and he said, he said, you have a real shot to, to make something really realistic and grounded. And he said, you know, there are elements in the film where things get a little broad. And he said, I'm going to leave it up to you. It's your film, but keep that in mind. And in the edit, it was really, really something that resonated with me. And he came in towards the end of the edit and really was, was impactful and extremely helpful. And not only with story, he's a huge, huge fan of Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, but he's also really, really uh, helpful in terms of tone. And we were able to, I went for gold on some scenes, <laughs> you know, for example, like Bill Burr, was a shittier in the film. Um, and he was eating sushi and he had like tummy issues. And there was a scene where he kept eating the sushi, even though he knew it was bad for him. And, and he was in the toilet and Jimmy's looking for him. He's like, I got, I got this thing. And then Bill comes out, he's talking to him. And then he fucking has this stomach pain and he's sitting there and he's wincing and he's groaning. It's like, Oh, and he, uh, he, it was, it fucking made me laugh so hard. 
And it was one of those things where Vince was like, do you really want that in? Like Bill Burr and a shit joke is basically what you're, what it's coming down to. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. And we, we learned pretty early on what the tone of the film would be. And I think it's a better film for it. Look, you could, you could go for gold in some scenes, right? Whatever. But at least they really happened and they were grounded in reality. Um, that trailer park scene, it's fucking crazy. But I think the fact that we you know, even the way you shot it, you had to shoot it from Jimmy's perspective. Mm. And it, it, it just grounds it a little more as opposed to wides of the trailer and seeing what happens. When you see it from his perspective, I think it's a little scarier and, and yeah. grounded. So so that was that was the great thing about working with Vince. And then Peter, Peter's been fucking working in this industry since he was like a kid. Yeah. There wasn't anything that you could throw past Peter, especially on set, that would fucking whiz him. He was completely a pro. And there were times on the production where things go wrong there there something's going to go wrong every fucking day and you mm -hmm. got to keep your day keep it on budget especially when it's an independent film and this guy is working fucking miracles on a daily basis and <laughs> to be honest with you i don't know if the film would have even been made if peter wasn't wasn't a producer there, wow. there were many times where the film almost fell apart and he kept it on track and i'm sure that happens on a thousand projects but thank god he was he was there steve thanks for uh talking about your movie giving us uh giving yeah. us uh, uh your time here um uh the opening act is uh is, you know anybody who's really interested in stand-up comedy should watch this and i think that's a lot of people so mm -hmm. um so guys i don't want uh, this day to end you're the best friends i've ever had so can we just right can you just listen <laughs> to me eat i don't want to leave you guys i'm concerned yeah. I, I, you guys. I, I understand it man the 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 love is real the love is real I, understand. I just want us all to sit in front of a fireplace and prick our fingers and swap blood samples and become blood brothers after this uh, well, right. i did that just last night though so it's gonna be oh, it's gonna be tough to do it again while watching jesse yes, while watching, watching jesse. jesse let's make this as dark as possible um <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, that is a visual yes it is mm -hmm. yes it is um the opening act comes out on october 16th in theaters vod and digital um i'm guessing uh theaters is uh drive-ins and stuff like that i would say theaters or drive-ins or if you live in a red state um <laughs> yeah 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 that's true i don't know hey man we yeah. live in one so uh but uh okay we we like to thank uh, steve byrne for coming in and uh sharing his time uh the opening act october 16th um and uh that's gonna do it for this interview it's chris atkinson jonathan watkins and barrett share we'll see you next time Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Really can't wait to kind of dive into a little bit like even kind of your previous career, if you're all right with that. Yeah. Anything you like, want to ask. Totally. I'm totally anything. Great. Anything, Steve, anything, sexuality, <laughs> all of it. Yes. Why do I have to legally knock on doors and introduce myself as new, as a new neighbor? Yeah. You can ask me about that. Right. That was my first one. That was yeah. my first question. That's oh amazing. my God. That's what I ask everybody in every interviewee. Is, uh, why is that?
Okay. And great. Uh, yeah, so I will shut up and turn it over to Chris. And I uh, can't wait to talk to you. Thank you again. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Steve, I'm going to do my usual, you know, like uh, intro bullshit. And then we can, uh, you know, we can talk about this movie. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, do me, uh, uh, actually, and, and Chris, you were probably going to do this, but Steve, can you stay on of course. the line uh, for a second? so that we can make sure that uh, Jonathan downloads everything and uh, Chris is going to do his outro bullshit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He thought my intro bullshit was good. No, no, Um, no. I know what you do. I know you present the mozzarella sticks, but I've been waiting for that T-bone tomahawk, so I cannot (laughs) wait to hear what I'm (laughs) serving.